I think if if you're curious, if you have questions, if you want some assurances, go to the source, right? Don't rely on the PETAs or the HSUSs. If you're thinking about going to visit your local zoo, but you've heard someone say something bad about it, contact the zoo. Everyone has a website. Everyone has, you know, information that they'll make available. Um, you know, talk to people who you trust, right? Who know something about animals, whether it's a veterinarian or what, or, or somebody who you know has some firsthand expertise. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. Well, today I'm going to talk to someone I've known for quite a while and have great respect for. Tom Albert is a government relations specialist. He's currently uh, representing the Zoological Association of America, and I've known him in other capacities as well. We're going to talk about legislation and regulations that are out there that affect the the zoo community, exhibited animal community, aquariums, um, all of that type of stuff. And the question I always have on this is, and I've seen firsthand, what is the problem we're trying to solve or resolve? What's happening that is creating the need for this legislation? And uh, Tom has always been big on saying that what we're trying to solve a problem that we don't have or create a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. So I think it's a very eye-opening conversation. I hope you'll enjoy Tom Albert. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Heidi. It's good to be here. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. I've known you for quite a while and uh, a really, yeah, I look forward to your expertise. I talk to people all the time about non-animal people, which is why I'm doing the podcast, friends of mine, and I happen to live in a very urban area in Pinellas County. So uh, I'm always trying to explain to people why so much legislation is misguided, some of the rules and regulations and uh, laws in place, and, uh, you know, because these people are not animal people. So that's really who my podcast is directed at, and... Um, so you have the uh, maybe enviable, maybe not, <laughs> position of working in the um, government relations area with respect to animals, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And you're currently uh, for, working with ZAA, Zoological Association of America? Yes, I am basically the government affairs consultant for ZAA on um, state and federal um, legislative and regulatory matters that you know, would impact its members and right. um, been working with them for almost a year now. It's interesting because we have the AZA, which is the American Zoo and Aquarium, I believe that's how you say it, association. And then we have the Zoological Association of America. Uh, before you came on to the, uh, into this role, I was kind of beating the drum for ZAA because I was frustrated uh, I'm not a zoo person. As you know, I grew up in a family of exhibited animal trainers. But many of our animals, especially the elephants, were the predecessors to, they were the elephants that went to the zoos. And uh, the circus and exhibited animal community were the ones to really help them with a variety of the animals. I, I 
just so frustrated with the direction that uh, AZA has gone with some of their stuff. So it's funny because ZAA is the a lot of private owners uh, as well as larger zoos. And I think that gives them an incredible opportunity because they are the decision makers. When you get into AZA, the elephant folks or the hippos or rhino, whatever they are taking care of, may feel very strongly about uh, legislation and regulations trying to be imposed on even what the, what AZA is doing, but they're po- the zoos are political, and so the keepers don't have a, this lot of a voice. I love ZAA because I know I know a lot of the folks, and a lot of them are their own decision makers, and I think that right. that provides a great opportunity. So, with that in mind, maybe start out by telling us what kind of what are the current uh, issues that you're seeing? Maybe at the let's start at the federal level with what what could impact uh, the Zoological Association of America members? So, um, thank you, uh, Heidi. Just to, again, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and to talk to you. Sure. Um, and uh, no, just to to just follow up a little bit on your comments, I I certainly I, I think one of the key roles ZAA plays is to represent um, those smaller, very often family owned yes. um, uh, facilities. Uh, yes, EAA has, they have smaller facilities, they have larger facilities, they have nonprofit, they have public, but they also have a lot of, you know, when you say private, really you just mean they're privately owned, you know, entities, right? Yes, a, yes. Um, <clears throat> and um, I do think that is a um, important, you know, um, role that ZA plays in representing that sort of side of the industry, um, yes. you know, where, where, which isn't necessarily captured as much by say AZA, which is not exclusively, but is very much focused on sort of larger um, scale institutions in many respects. So, um, well, just to be clear, know, let me <clears throat> add to that. It's not only because uh, the smaller facilities are privately owned and may not agree with AZA, and many times they're not really welcome, right? They don't, they can't implement some of the programs that AZA requires, but yet they may have fantastic animal care and a wonderful facility. So that's why I just feel like that drum needs to be beat because they're just wonderful. There's so many wonderful folks. And I think you can have as, as neat or even more experience at a smaller a smaller facility. So in some cases, they're not even, they're not even really, they can't even meet the, the uh, parameters of AZA. Um, so another reason. I mean, I can't speak directly to that. I'm not involved in that side of things, but sure. I, I think you are right that look, I mean, there, ZAA has been around for, I think it's, you know, and it's more or less it's current firm for form for 20 Years, yeah, maybe, a couple maybe decades, a sure. More. Yeah, and you know, yes, it was certainly you know created to provide a place for people who either didn't have a place at AZA or maybe just wanted something different. Right. And, um, you know, I I know uh, I worked very closely with ZAA's executive director, Dr. Kelly George, and mm-hmm. and you know she's very clear that you know at least from ZAA's perspective, this isn't intended we don't approach this as a competition we don't sure. approach it as uh you know one is 
good. The other is, is not. Um, we think they are different organizations that have similar goals, but, you know, somewhat different approaches and somewhat different structures. And yeah, that's just, um, that's just the way it is. It's, it's not about one is bad versus, you know, and one is good. Um, well, since you're going down that road, the challenge though is there's legislation out there. And I know even when I was working with your predecessor on different regulations and such legislation, um, that AZA would be exempt, but others wouldn't. So the legis this legislative bodies and even the media, um, you know, making it seem as though they are, they are the overruling authority when in fact they're not, they have standards and accreditation, but they are not, um, they're not a governing body per se. And that, that was my issue initially. And now with the help of some, some, uh, great folks coming into ZAA, including yourself, those are being looked at more equally, but that was, that was a challenge and people were very happy in my opinion, even AZA to go along with that. And again, I don't want to have you on here to, um, put you in the position to debate that. Fortunately, it's my podcast. So if I want to say it, I have the latitude, but right. <laughs> I, I won't ask that, you so. to say that, but it is an issue that's out there that I've spoken about a lot on the podcast. And, um, so kudos to ZAA, I will say for, feeling that way about it, because I think that is an important way to, to look at it. We're not in competition, but we're all here to make sure animal care is the best it can be. And that we also need to get the message out about that. So, right. Okay. And, and I, I just, again, not to, to stick there with that topic too long, but I, I will say that on that point, that is something that ZAA has tried to do. Certainly since I've been involved is, identify some of those places where there are provisions like that and try to see, Hey, can we get that, you know, revised? Can we get that changed? Not yeah. to take AZA away, but say, you know, if, whatever the justification is for the AZA language, uh, we believe the same uh, justification applies to ZAA, uh, at least as to accreditation. Absolutely. Um, so that is something that ZA is, is trying to, uh, address it's it's so um, diverse though that it's really sort of a more of a uh, you know on an opportunistic basis of sure um, yeah uh, when when an issue comes up uh, trying to to you know get that aspect of it of addressed uh, as well so and you know we'll we'll stay on this for a moment because I think the reason that this comes up and because it's such a, it really is such a big issue because people are the non-animal people, people who visit zoos, people who care about animals. And this is where you come in because it becomes a regulation or legislation are so emotional about animals. And with, with the, right. yeah, with this much information, you know, a snippet of information, but yet they're, they're, uh, making uh, social media, I heard you say in another podcast, couldn't be more correct. I was doing this decades ago when we didn't have social media. It was still challenging, but at least we could somewhat, you know, provide our, our information. But the narrative now is just so overwhelming. And that's why I'm doing the podcast, because I think it's so misguided. I, they We're not trusting the experts, the people who love, care for, and work with animals. 
If you want to know something about animals, go to the experts, not the media, not a legislator, who, by the way, on another podcast, uh, I think it was maybe Mark Simmons, uh, who wrote the book, Killing Kiko, said a legislator came to a hearing and was going to ban something. And um, whoever I was speaking with was on the other side of it and finally went to him and said, why, why is this happening? Well, my daughter came home from school and feels very strongly about this. So he took the time, I mean, like an eight-year-old child. We're not talking about a, a college girl, which really wouldn't matter, but nonetheless. And educated him. The guy went back the next day and changed his, the, the legislator changed his position. But that's what we're up against. It's, it's just crazy. So people do care. You know, these, these uh, bodies, these bodies, the AZA and ZA are so important because it's, it's really important for people to understand the experts, you know. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and what you said is something I'm constantly trying to get people to understand is one of the challenges in this area when it comes to legislation and e even regulations is um, the strong emotional reaction that people have when it comes to animals. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, it's ironic because, it you know, it's a similar passion to what people like you and, and all the people as EAA bring to what they do. Yeah. The way it comes out for, for you all is different than for other people. Exactly. Um, and, and I, you know, I, for years I've dealt with other government affairs professionals who don't come out of an animal, you know, industry. Yeah, background. Yeah. And one of the first things I do is try to prepare them. I said, you don't understand when you get into one of these issues that involves animals, people, because of the emotion and the passion, um, in, in many cases are irrational about animals in a way. Uh, you've probably sat through enough hearings on different kinds of bills to see it, um, where people just, it can be over the top in many ways. And what gets lost is, okay, but what, what do the people who actually know? Yeah. To say, what are the keepers and trainers and veterinarians, the people who actually work with and take care of these animals? What do they have to say? Um, and it, it does crowd that out sometimes. It's one of the great challenges is, uh, you know, and, and the situation you described there, you know, that's probably pro having a legislator or a public official who picks up a cause because a family member or somebody yeah that's that's very common what's not common is to have them actually go back and reconsider and agree oh yeah that, that Agreed. Oh, that's pretty rare to get them to do that um because it you know well there's a whole host of reasons when you're dealing with yeah with politicians and and the legislators and uh you know and they fall prey to some of the same things so they just you know, they, um, they have an emotional appeal made to them and it resonates with them and it's hard for them to, to turn off the emotions. That, and um, and that they just made. believe with their heart and soul, they've been indoctrinated to believe that we are absolutely just, that animals are being abused in, in, in mass, you know, and refuse to listen. Um, I remember years ago in Seattle, scariest, scariest animal hearing I've ever been at, and um, because they they treated us as though we were just the most horrific people on the planet, 
I stood up and I said, I am the abuser that you're seeking to keep out of Seattle. Because I was up against soccer moms, you know, the typical, right. to be stereotypical, but the activist, right? Well, I was one. I had, I had tweener kids and, you know, I'm, I'm uh, apple pie, you know, I'm a good old American girl. And I stood up and I said, because they picture these, these uh, faceless, horrible people. And here I was, you know, I was like, it's me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd be sitting at coffee with you after we drop off our kids, but yet, you know, and sometimes that has an impact, but it, it's such so difficult because you do um, you do get those folks who just dig their heels in and the media is happy to go along with the narrative. But let's talk about where that really comes from, which is the animal rights groups, animal rights, animal protection, call them what you like. They even use the word welfare now because they they realize if they co-opt that word, it, it helps them even more. But so we distinguish animal rights and animal welfare. Animal welfare believes in uh, the bond between humans and animals and celebrating that in an atmosphere of well-being for all. The animals have to be taken care of. Animal rights does not believe we should have animals in our care and should admire them from afar. And that goes even to pets, which people do not understand the agenda. So we start there, but these groups are making millions of dollars. Jack, uh, is it Jack Hubbard from Center for Environment and Welfare came on, talked about offshore accounts to, you know, hundreds of million dollars that get sent for animal care. But these folks are not animal experts, but they are experts in crafting a narrative and, um, you know, telling their story. They should teach courses on, uh, on media and public relations, but they're not animal experts and they're fundraisers. Don't ever make the mistake of assuming those folks aren't good at what they do. Yeah. Right. They, they, they know how to do it and they've been doing it for a long time. And, it, uh, you know, at, at the same time, I, I will say, yes, you do run into those, you know, legislators who are sort of have drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, but there are also plenty there that yeah. they don't know. They're willing to try to get educated. Um, sometimes they don't have, Unfortunately, particularly when you're dealing with state issues, you don't, they don't have the time to really understand an issue. So it becomes a challenge to do that educating. Um, But, you know, I I certainly wouldn't want to suggest that, you know, none of them want to hear, you know, there are plenty that that recognize that there's always more than one side to every issue. Um, And uh, they're willing to at least hear what you have to say. Um, And, uh, you know, they, the majority of them I think are like that, you know, even if they still sometimes end up voting against you, um, they, there are at least plenty that will try to hear what you have to say. Not all of them. There are some who, as you said, they, you know, they buy into it and they've made up their mind. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, you don't know that till, you know, you sit there and try to make your, your case and, uh, and uh, you hear what they have to say. So. Well, the other the other aspect of that, Tom, is, and Joan, um, our friend Joan has said this to me, sometimes the only people showing up telling them things, because you're one person, you know, representing an organization and certainly during your job, but as far as the uh, the folks in the industry, they're hearing and they get plenty of information from the animal rights community. They don't get as much information from the exhibited animal, the zoological uh, side, the research side. And I always tell people, again, the lay people who aren't involved with animals, who I hope this podcast is reaching, that, 
it's not because we don't care. It's because the bigger the animal, if you have um, elephants, right? Elephants in my world are privately owned in the zoological facilities. They're owned a lot of times by the zoo. But if they're privately owned, you you can't just leave your elephants and go spend a week on Capitol Hill, you know, telling your story. You you actually will get in trouble because they are big animals and they're only certain people who are allowed to be in charge and they have to be there. So, and and those of us who have even even smaller species, I have horses and such, but it's hard when you're when you live live with and care for your animals to just get away and do that. You know, we didn't go on vacation when I was growing up because we didn't, you know, our life was a perpetual travel, but we didn't leave our animals to go away and do something. So uh, as, as somebody, when I first started dealing with these things, told me, it's like, look, the animals don't care that it's your birthday. That's or right. That Christmas, or Christmas. Or that it's they come snowing first. out. Yeah. Or that you're hungover. Or that you're not feeling good. Or no you have other stuff to do. At the end of the day, they need to be taken care of and their needs are going to have to come first before all that other stuff. The world is bigger than you when you have animals because everything comes before you. And for me, that was a great way to grow up. And I think with uh, more than 95 now percent urbanate population in the United States. It's a message lost. Um, it, it is because, and, and that urban rural divide is, is so important. And, and if you want, want to understand sort of where things are today versus where they were 25 years ago, to me, that's the number one thing to look at. The fewer and fewer absolutely. people who have real life experience with animals, particularly larger animals, particularly any kind of working animal. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's one of the great challenges. There's there's more and more people who, you know, the only experience they have with animals is, you know, the family pet that sleeps at the bottom of the bed. Right. Uh, and what they watch on whatever uh, TV, yeah. YouTube, whatever. <laughs> so. Which, again, goes back to the narrative that it's not telling very seldom is it telling an accurate story either. They're emotionally based programs. I do want to. I do want to concur with you. What you said, just to back up for a second, I I would agree with you. When I had the opportunity to go walk the halls of our Congress and state state houses as well, people were listening to me. They were willing. I found the aides to be much more biased than the legislators themselves, uh, but they we there just aren't enough of us telling that story. I believe is part of the problem. So we can't fault legislators for that however it it still remains a problem because we're we're legislating animals out of our lives and that's where you come in to the conversation full steam it is it is um you know certainly troubling uh you know um those you know that to see those kinds of things happening um and, and again, I couldn't agree more with what you said that, you know, one of the challenges is that you're up against folks who, in, in many cases, they, they really fall in the two camps. It's their job yeah. to do this. It's their job to push these things. Yep. Or there's somebody who is essentially a fanatic who has made this their cause. Yeah. Um, now you, as someone who owns, trains, cares for animals, has a real job taking care of animals, you have to, oh, on the side, find right. a way to fight that. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and that is very, just one of the true challenges. Um, uh, and it is, it's one of the reasons why one of my messages, and I'm sure people, particularly at ZAA, get tired of me hearing about it, is saying, look, at the end of the day, you are your, you are your best representative. You, yes. if you're not doing it, nobody's going to do it for you. Um, and wherever it is, you know, um, as I said, if you have a facility, uh, or if you had an animal someplace, you should know who your representatives are. And that's everything from you know <laughs> yes. the city council to the county, to your state representatives, to your members of Congress. And ideally they should know who you are. Yeah. Right? Um, Absolutely. Because you don't have, you know, and, and I say that like, it's very simple, which it is, but simple is not easy because yeah. for all the reasons we've talked about all the yeah. other responsibilities and obligations, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it's, it's the people who have the animals who care for the animals who are providing for them, who are the best uh, to, to explain and respond and defend what they do. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. We'll, we'll hear that, you know, the, the animal rights community uses emotion so adeptly on their side to, you know, they, they'll show a crying elephant, by the way, uh, Note, elephants don't have tear ducts, so they don't actually cry, but that's a whole nother, that was a whole nother podcast. However, when you want to see an animal person or somebody who's spent their life around animals in what agriculture, exhibited animals, research, whatever it is, talk to them and you'll, you'll feel and see, and those are the folks I try to get on this podcast, that emotion is very real, but we have to be practical first and understand our animals and the care. So many things go into it, but they've devoted, you know, people who've devoted their lives to animals. I stepped into this arena because I, I want to tell those stories and I want to give those people a platform to, to tell those stories. There's more to the story, as I always say. <laughs> we, we both know people, and, and you're probably one of them, who you know, will sleep in barns who will yeah. be up, you know, absolutely for night after night because of a sick animal or, or something else going on with an animal yeah. because that's what they have to do. Um, and you know, as tired as they get, you know, and, and again, I, I should mention, I, I have a, a daughter who's a zookeeper, a professional zookeeper. And oh, she's fantastic. Very much in this. She, um, that's great. You know, she very much follows that philosophy of, you know, yeah. the animals come first and yeah. I've got to do everything I can to make, you know, share, they make sure they have everything they need. And only then can I actually go home, um, you know, in, with a, a clear conscience that I've done everything I can to, to take care of them. Absolutely. And we'll get into legislation. I'll, I'll finish this little part with this, that, my dad and my grandfather were animal trainers, and um, it was the time of Gunther Gable Williams as well. We were came over to Ringling when I was just single, nine years old. And um, I remember being about a teenager, so in the 70s, around CITES, a little after that, the animal rights groups got pretty vocal, so 70s, 80s. Um, and I remember my dad and, and his peers adopted the kind of adage that was popular in those days. Don't dignify a lie with a response. Right. If we could go back 25 or 30 years and make them see that differently. And frankly, that's where this, it would have taken off anyhow, the animal rights agenda, but 
I, I think back to those days and I remember he- vividly hearing that, that, that I can't believe they could say that, but people will surely understand that's a lie, right? And you don't dignify a lie with a response. You do your job and you keep your head up and you have integrity. Well, that failed them because there, there, there was no integrity in what was going on on the other side. So I, I, I just always think back to that. And, but we can't, Rewind the clock. So, Tom, where are we now? What kind of what kind of issues are there that you're dealing with? You know, so uh, I'll start. You had had mentioned uh, on the federal front. Um, So uh, obviously, when it comes to animals, uh, your primary um, uh, federal regulatory entity is USDA. Yeah. uh, And which enforces the Animal Welfare Act. Um, on the federal front, I'd say probably the most notable thing that's out there right now is something that is sort of on the horizon. Um, earlier this year, USDA put out what they called an advance notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, and that is a, um, part of the administrative, uh, rulemaking process, um, where the, an agency can put out, Hey, we're thinking about adopting rules and regulations on on this topic and maybe of, on these kinds of things, but we want, before we even propose something specific, we want to get feedback. Um, so it's important for people to understand that this is a, about as early as you can be in that process, the advanced notice to propose rulemaking. Um, uh, but, but much of the focus of that was essentially looking at uh, the question of public contact with animals of all kinds Mm. um, and uh, talking about adopting, because right now USDA only has rules specifically dealing with um, uh, public contact with, uh, I believe, big cat species. And and that's made even more uh, superfluous by by the Big Cat Public Safety Act. Yes. Uh, And I believe for um, uh, marine mammals. Um, and what they're proposing to do is, well, we think we need to put some, some rules in place that govern public contact with all kinds of animals of different species. Mm -hmm. Um, they sort of suggest that they think there may be problems, uh, based on, uh, some, some real kind of fuzzy numbers they throw out, uh, about, well, we believe there were so many, um, non-compliances that involved uh, facilities that were doing some kind of public interaction with animals. And, um, you know, there, we think there could be a problem here and, and we think we, and, and more recently, I think at uh, uh, the elephant managers association, you know, whoever spoke for USDA there was, was very open that they thought, Oh, absolutely. USDA is going to come forward with rules that are going to look to restrict public contact with at least some animals. Um, uh, I'm sure elephants are very much at the top of that list. Yeah, one of the highest um, profile. Uh, ZAA filed comments on this advance notice. Um, uh, other organizations did too. Uh, the, the, the notice did also talk uh, about um, the need to USDA considering putting new rules in specifically requiring enrichment programs for animals. Um, and you know, you step back and you say, look, and this is what ZAA did. We don't disagree that 
all animals should have some kind of, you know, enrichment. They should have that mental, physical stimulation Mm -hmm. that all animals need. Um, But, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Um, And there are different kinds of enrichment, including, by the way, public contact. Public contact and working with the animals. Um, And the same thing with public contact. CAA absolutely agrees. Should, you know, uh, are all animals appropriate for public contact programs? Nope. Not, not every species and not every animal in every species. Right. Uh, and should just anybody uh, be able to take an animal out and oversee? Should it be someone who's qualified, who knows what they're doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but when you read through this advance notice, it seems like USDA is very clearly moving towards putting restrictions in place about which animals can have contact and, uh, you know, what you'd have to do in order to be able to have contact with certain animals. And, and again, it's pretty much any species. It's not just elephants. It's, it's rhinos, it's giraffes, it's camels, wallabies, camels, um, uh, you know, sloths, right. You know, sloths have become this very popular program animal. Right. Yeah. They're small, they're manageable, they're easy, yeah. and, and people, you know, react very positive to that. Same with um, lemurs are also an animal that, you know, uh, some of these places allow contact with because they're quiet. Yeah. So Wait, on the on that's the crazy. federal horizon, I would say that's sort of even though it's longer term, because again, it was an advance notice. The next step at some point, USDA would actually have to come out with, okay, an actual proposed rulemaking that would go through the same public notice and comment period. They would then have to go back and digest all those comments. And they got hundreds of thousands of comments in yes. the advance notice. The vast majority of them are, you know, basically form comments that are generated through the activist groups. And, and they recognize that they're able to sort of, parse them out. But, but even, even when you take those out, they still got thousands of comments and, and as part of the administrative rulemaking process, they have to look at them and address them in some way, or at least consider them. Um, So I law, you know, that's a longer term process. I, at this point, I'd be very surprised if we saw that an actual notice of proposed rulemaking before the early part of next year, Uh, anything's possible. Um, but you know, uh, it's not like it's something that's going to happen tomorrow or next week. Um, uh, from a, from a regulatory standpoint, that that's sort of the thing that I think is most significant for the sort of animal exhibitor community. Well, it, it Um, effectively would, uh, some States already have this as, as you know, but for our listeners, some States have already uh, done away with public contact with like animals, uh, like elephants, so that means there are no rides or no encounters of any kind. So if this were the case on a federal level, that would mean like, for example, a camel ride would not be allowed in the United States, correct? Potentially, yes. Yeah. I mean, because they, they do, you know, they, they allow that there are lots of animals and species and they don't necessarily say they would apply the same rules to everyone. But okay. it's a clear indication that they are looking to have less public contact with animals. Gosh, what a shame, because to save our animals, especially endangered species, everything points to, expertise points to the fact that to see them or to have touched them 
is the 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 stimulus that wants people to care about them. I interview zookeepers and how many zookeepers do what they do because they encountered and interacted with an animal if they didn't come from a, a you know animal family. And that's, I, I heard it at the elephant managers conference. I hear it all the time. Like, oh my gosh, that I, I wonder, I knew when I heard there was a career doing that, I was like, God, it was, you know, sign me up. Gosh. Yeah, and that was one of the points ZAA made in his comments. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's extremely, um, you know, concerning that that might go away. And, and oh, by the way, you know, the other thing we tried to point out is, you know, by even a rough guesstimate, um, cause the suggestion by USDA is that there's a public safety risk here. Right. That, are, you know, I was just going to say, what is, hurt. what is the problem this is looking to fix? So you just took the words well, out of my that, mouth. It, it's very much a solution in search of a problem because you don't really see that, um, at least, you know, USDA can't point to any really hard evidence that, oh my God, people and animals are getting hurt all the time. Yeah. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, a rough estimate, just looking at ZAA's information, we think there are millions of different kinds of encounters going on every year. Okay. Every, you know, lemurs, elephants, camels, you know, wallabies, anything you can think of. Um, and if there were a large number of either people or animals being injured, that would be pretty easy to to identify and they, they couldn't do that. I mean, the numbers they threw out were like, you know, equated to, um, you know, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, uh, in terms of, Oh, we think, and, and Oh, by the way, they, it was very general. It was like, well, we think there were this many non-compliances that maybe involved injury to a person or an animal. Now that could be everything from someone got stretched, scratched to somebody got bit by an animal. So they couldn't even really say, you know, there were serious injuries They just, or, or what the nature of, of the injuries that they think might have happened were. Uh, so it's, Tom, 25, you know, probably 25, maybe a little bit more years ago when I worked for the OABA, Outdoor Amusement Business Association, and I was a spokesperson for exhibited animal community, we had this issue with elephant rides. It's terrible. You can't let people get close to the elephants. It's dangerous. And I thought about this a lot, exactly what you're saying. And my mind went there again, which is how would I verify these statistics or that? Because I knew the industry, at least our side of the industry, and sure, occasionally something goes unreported, but with USDA oversight and state and reg state regulations, very little goes unreported now. And I thought, well, who would know? The insurance companies, the people who insure the bulk of the industry, because we have specialty insurers, would. So I turned to them and I said, I really need an honest answer. I'm not looking to be padded or anything. What is the what is the risk of elephant rides? Is it a problem? And that none of them, uh, there were five insurers that insured the industry. And at the time I got letters. I was quite proud of myself for this. Um, I actually had them on their letterhead write this, that the elephant rides were not considered high risk, nor were the pony rides, but they had a little bit more issue with, the pony rides had a little higher incidence, not much. Slips and falls in the venue accounted for, you know, a much higher percentage 
of the risk oh, at these I events. Think I remember seeing some of those letters. That you yeah, because they were and they were very. They know, were so helpful idea. because legislators don't need me just coming in there and throwing around some numbers. I need to verify it. I need to quantify it. And I, I was at a meeting on one of those elephant ride debates and they were citing to some case and we actually had the information. It was like, oh, this case you talk about where this a kid got hurt. Yeah. He fell off the platform. Yeah, exactly. It was not in any anywhere way near. Yeah. It fell off the platform and that's how he got hurt. Yep. So that's such an important aspect. But again, there we just don't have that army of people, you know, they're yourself in the trenches, the little bit I'm doing, but mine is more on this uh, side now. And to get that information and, you know, you've got people with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars who make this their their goal in life. So it's hard, but again, we're getting it out just in little pieces, right? <laughs> and I, you can only do what you can do. Right? Yeah. So, so um, yeah. Um, gosh, we could, I mean, I'm going to have to have you on again. Cause I really want to dive a little deeper. I think this, I think our conversation has been really eye opening. I'm hopeful to, and I appreciate you're really breaking things down because I'm considering the person and this is really my target audience. So we know there are the fanatics in the animal rights community, and we know there are the people who are on the agriculture exhibited or zoological animal side, and that's a, just a big opposition there, right? Because you're being lied about and all of that. They're the people in the middle who care about animals and it might be taken in by the, the really shiny, well positioned, well-stated animal rights groups to say, if you care about animals, join us and we're going to fix this, you know, again, this problem that doesn't exist. Um, those are the people I want to reach because those people care about animals, but I think they're not, they're not fanatics. Um, they're just been told stuff that's hard to believe that they, how could they not come and try to help animals? You know, heck it goes all the way to our dog shelters, the, the lies and mistruths about you know, shelters and rescues. And again, it doesn't mean those folks don't do good work, but my podcast is all over that. The next podcast I'm going to do uh, interview is a lady who um, talks about the statistics with dog bites and uh, bully breeds that all this breed specific legislation, which I know is right. not quite your area, but so there, you know, again, it's, no, I, I probably know who you're talking to. Yeah. That's uh, then there's just, you know, a number of groups out there that have been trying to make that case. Yeah, because uh, on, we're, on dog bites. it's so dangerous. And that scares me. I'm on the other side of that because I'm terrified because I think as an animal trainer, I see how dangerous. But um, I, I really do want to just get you back and we'll do a part two with more regulations. But before we do that, why don't you uh, maybe leave us with some things Again, I think we've done a lot of educating here, and I'm really pleased with the way this has, not quite the direction we were going, but I'm really pleased with where we went. So what would you like people to know? What what kind of messages and or what to watch out for? What to be well, thinking I, about? I, again, I, I, the most important thing is, is what we talked about earlier, is that um, you, you've got to, when I say you, whether it's if you're someone with animals, whether you're a, a trainer or a veterinarian or someone who owns a zoo or a traveling animal exhibit, um, you've got to speak for yourself and you've got to be proactive. And again, I know simple is not easy, um, but um, 
because it, 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 as you said at the very beginning, you know, you've got to be able to, to try to inject information from the people who know what they're talking about, who do this on a regular basis, who do it every day. Um, and, you know, if, if I had one thing, I'd say, look, if, if you've got animals and, and you're involved in, in some way uh, and you're not, you know, involved with your chamber of commerce or reaching yes. out to your local representatives so that they know, you know, who you are and what you do. And, and frankly, even know that, you know, for the folks who this applies to, you're a business in many cases, right? That's right. You, you provide jobs, you generate taxes, you maybe you generate tourist dollars for an area. Those are all important things. And why, you know, part of the re those are additional reasons why they are going to want to hear from you and should be hearing from you. Um, so that, that would be my, my, you know, strongest piece of, of advice there is, you know, people don't just assume somebody else is going to take care of this, right? Somebody right. else is going to fight the battles. Um, because frankly, there's fewer and fewer, uh, of, uh, of those of us who are able to fight these battles. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the people who are directly impacted have to, have to stand up and, and do it. Um, you know, it's again, and it, it's challenging because of what you're sometimes up against. Um, but you also have facts and truth on your side. Um, expertise. And expertise and, and channeling, you know, you want to bring the passion, but also channel it so that it's like, I do this because I'm passionate about it, but let me explain to you how I do it and why oh, I do yeah. it and why some of that information you have is, is wrong. Um, and what you need, what you don't know that you need to know. So, um, and what would you, what would you say to the folks who are jumping on these bandwagons of, you know, they care about animals and they feel like they need to support some of these animal rights groups and uh, because they just don't want these atrocities happening when in fact they're, you know, not opening their mind. What, how would you direct them? What would maybe a little bit of advice to those hope, folks I hope we're reaching, you know, right. They care Look, about I, animals. I, I think if, if you're curious, if you have questions, if you want some assurances, go to the source, right? Don't rely on the PETAs or the HSUSs. If you're thinking about going to visit your local zoo, but you've heard someone say something bad about it, contact the zoo. Yeah. Everyone has a website. Everyone has, you know, information that they'll make available. Um, you know, talk to people who you trust, right? Who know something about animals, whether it's a veterinarian or what, or, or somebody who, you know, has some firsthand expertise. Um, now again, not everybody, whether it's a vet or otherwise is going to agree necessarily, but at least you want to look for, try to talk to people who, you know, have a knowledge base. Right? Yeah, um, for sure. Okay, I know they have something that their basis is, whatever their opinion is, it's based on more than just what they saw online or what they saw in a commercial, you know, asking for $25. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that, that it's, and look, the one of the, I have a colleague who, who says, you know, the, the Peters of the world, you know, they're that at the end of the day, their credo is it's just not worth it. Right. They just want to make it more trouble than it's worth. Oh yeah. For you to do, to do anything. Um, and, and that is a challenge because look, it's just, 
in, in a way, it's similar to what we already said. You're talking about regular people who are living their lives, you know, raising their families, trying to, yeah. to, you know, find a way to, to, to do things they enjoy. Uh, and some of them, you know, a lot of them, I think, you know, maybe just don't want to want to be bothered to take the time or can't whatever. Um, and so they just, well, I've heard something bad, so I'm just going to stay away from that. Yeah. I'm just going to assume. Um, and, and what I would say is, well, don't do that. If, if you're curious, there are sources out there and, and it's not, you don't just have to go to the, the, the places involved. There are, there are groups out there like ZAA. There are groups like, um, national animal interest Alliance. Oh yeah. Um, protect the harvest. Great. Groups, uh, protect yeah. the harvest that, you know, will provide information, um, which is factual information. NAIA is a great thing for that. Yeah, and, um, agreed. uh, in terms of, um, you know, and, and that's one of the things they try to do is try to make sure that, put real information out there for real people yes. to come and you want to understand this issue or at least try to hear some information that we're putting in front of you. Um, uh, that is not, you know, is not prepared with the idea of driving you to a, a specific, you know, right. Um, it's not information position. that's going to get money out of you. It's information it's that's agenda. helping yeah. you, um, weigh it out. So, right. and also Tom, they can listen to my animal tales podcast where I interview yes. a variety of people who love care for and work with animals. Absolutely. So, Tom, I really would like to do this again. Cause we, we haven't even scratched sure. the surface and I thank you so much. You're such a great knowledge base. And I, frankly, I'm just happy you're out there, you know, helping tell the story <laughs> and have been for decades now. So thank you that, for that. that thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity and I'm, I'm glad to see that this kind of podcast out there and there, there's a couple of others out yeah. there and you know, anything we can do to help get that information to get real solid information out there for, like you said, that audience, um, you know, every little bit's got to help. So great. Kudos to you for doing this. Thank you. You've heard me say on this podcast time and again, and my guests as well, when possible, go see for yourself. Go see, go talk to the folks who are experts, who, who have animals, the animal businesses, and find resources that contradict maybe what you're, you've already been told. Just really, really delve into looking at the other side of the issue. Tom mentioned that the USDA might be looking at regulations that would ban public contact, where you couldn't ride an elephant or a camel or even get up close with them or have an encounter or maybe a marine mammal. It's really scary because I think that is what leads us to really love and care for animals. Taking them out of our lives or putting them further away is not the answer. Again, what problem is this solving when in fact there aren't statistics overwhelmingly that indicate a problem? So please try to try to find the other sides of the story and sharing this podcast is one way to help others uh, hear from those who are experts, love, care for, and work with animals or have an expertise on that front like Tom. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I hope you'll join me next time for more Animal Tales.